So hello and welcome to this podcast from Scotland's Farm Advisory Service, or FAS as it's also known. My name is Will Searle, I work for FAS, I know me, I'm sat behind my desk running the social media and website, but today I've been let out and I'm delighted to be here in Dumfries with Heather Stevenson. Heather Stevenson, if you don't know, is a vet from SAC Consulting Vets with 25 years of experience. Um, and if you've not had the chance to go to a FAS meeting that Heather is speaking at, I highly, highly recommend that you do. I, have, back when I was at uni, I did le le lectures in parasitology and I uh, sat through many dry, dusty lectures. And in a 10 minute presentation that Heather did on worming using some plastic balls and some rope, I think I learned more in that 10 minutes than I learned in on my entirety of my degree. So it's great to have Heather to be able to speak today. Hello, Heather, how are we doing? Good, thank you. Um, now today we're going to be talking about worming um, and the importance of starting to think about a strategy on your own farm. Because as, as we'll keep on probably now, it's no doubt saying throughout this that every farm is different, but there are some certain key things we want people to start thinking about if they're thinking about worming in their own strategy. So let's start with some basics though. How do sheep become infected with worms? The adult worms live within the sheep in the, the stomach, the abomasum, and also the intestines of the sheep. And these worms will reproduce and produce eggs. And the eggs pass down the length of the gut and then are passed out onto the, the grazing in the faeces. And the eggs will then hatch into larvae and they'll, they'll just stay in the faeces for a bit where they're feeding on bacteria. But after a while, they will molt a couple of times and then they'll move out onto the grass. And at this stage, they're known as the infectious L3 larvae. And this is what the sheep will eat along with the grass. And that's how they become infected. Now, once the worms are within the sheep and inside their stomach and intestines, they will mature to adults. And about three weeks after they've been infected, they'll start producing eggs and the whole cycle starts again. So you've got two parts to this life cycle. You've got the part that takes place within the sheep and then you've got the part that takes place actually in the environment on the grass in the field. And that environmental part, that is temperature dependent and it will speed up as it gets warmer through the summertime. And that means that the number of infectious larvae on the grass tend to increase in numbers as the, the summer goes on with high numbers then in, in late summer and into early autumn. So that's the time of year that we will often see problems with worms and sheep, scours and lambs and ill thrift and lambs. But these larvae, they, they, will, they will sit on the grass and if they're not eaten, some will actually survive right through the winter. Will you find that all sheep are affected equally by worms? Um, no, if you've got a, a fit, healthy ewe that's in, in good body condition, then they're able to control their own worm burdens because they've met worms before, so they have an immune response against the worm. So they don't show any signs of disease and they generally don't need to be treated. It's your young stock, your lambs, that are most likely to have problems with worm infection because they don't have any immunity to the worms yet and it, it takes a period of time and the whole grazing season for them to develop good immunity to worms. As far as adult sheep are concerned, tops are a little bit poorer than they use at controlling their worm burdens so they may need to be treated occasionally perhaps particularly before they run with the ewes. 
Worming all used pre-tupping is not necessary in most flocks, although you might want to pick out your thinner ewes, or if you're lambing hogs, then you might want to selectively treat them. The exception to that would be if you know that you have a particular worm called Homonchus contortus in your farm, and in that case you should, you should seek advice uh, from your vet about treating your ewes at that time of year. But generally, when it's coming to topping time, having the ewes in, in the correct body condition score is, is much more beneficial for your scanning percentage than a dose of wormer at that time of year. So many farmers now no longer treat their whole ewe flock before topping, so that saves them a bit of time and a bit of money, um, and they haven't noticed any difference in missing out that dose. Um, so overall, what kind of harm can worms do? Well... When people think of worms, they'll generally think about scour and diarrhoea. They might have had lambs that have died because of worm infections if, if they're severe. And when you get cases like that, there'll be tens of thousands of worms living in, in the stomachs and intestines of the sheep. If the worms are small in number, you might not notice anything at all unless you're actually monitoring your lamb growth rates. If lambs become infected with worms you will find that it affects their appetite so they'll actually physically eat less and the worms of course are damaging the insides and the lining of the abomasum in the intestines now that affects how the gut is able to digest the food it affects how the gut's able to absorb nutrients from the food and then of course because there's damage there the body then has to repair that damage and it also has to mount an immune response, and that all uses up protein, which means that the, the lamb can't be using that protein to grow, so they don't do as well. The worm that I mentioned previously, Homonchus contortus, again, it's a little bit different in that it feeds on blood. Um, so you might see signs that actually can look very similar to liver fluke disease, so it's important to get a proper diagnosis. At the moment in Scotland, disease due to Homonchus is, is not that common. But how would I be choose uh, which wormer to treat? There's probably more than 50 products on the market for worming sheep. And it's not possible for anyone to remember all of those. Uh, but the good thing is you don't actually have to remember all the product names because you can divide the products into five, into five different groups. And that's based on the chemical, the active ingredient that the, the wormer actually contains. So, for example, the oldest wormers, which have been around sort of since the 1960s, um, they're probably best known as the white drenches, but they have other names. They're also called the benzimidazoles. So then we've got group two, which are the yellow drenches. Uh, group three are the clear drenches and injectables. Groups four and five contain the newest products that have been launched just in the last few years, and, and they're fairly straightforward in that there's only one product in each group. So the group four wormer is Zolvix and the group five wormer is Startate. So that's a bit different to, for example, your group one wormer group, which contains many, many different products, things like Panicure, Albex, um, Albanil. And there's, there's quite a number of, of group two products as well, things like Levicide. Group threes, these are the only ones, there's some of the group 3 products that are a little bit different and that the ones that contain moxidectin are long-acting wormers and these are the only 
cheap wormers that, that have any long-acting activity. You'll also know some of the Group 3 products because these are the ones that you may have used to treat sheep scab with as well. But when you're choosing a product, there are lots and lots of different things to think about. You might want to consider the time of year. Why are you using it? Is it because you've got a problem or are you using it as a quarantine treatment? Some people very much prefer to use a drenching injection. If it's lambs you're treating, have a think about your withdrawal period. It might be that you've had advice from your vet, your advisor, or you might be interested in whether the product contains trace elements like cobalt or selenium. A lot of people, because they like the familiar, will use what they've used in the past, but that's not always the best thing to do. Um, and the most important thing, of course, is whether or not the product is actually going to work. And that's where knowing which group a wormer belongs to becomes important. Because if you've carried out testing on your farm and confirmed that a, a product in group 1 isn't working properly, then none of the group 1 products will work effectively in your flock. Startect is slightly different. That's the group 5 wormer to the other ones and that it's known as a dual active wormer. And that's the only sheep wormer in the UK to contain two different active ingredients. If anyone who's worked out in Australia or New Zealand will know that dual and even triple active wormers are, are very common in those countries. But the thing to remember is a dual active product is different from a combination. Your dual active product is containing two wormers, whereas a combination product is containing a wormer plus something to kill liver fluke. How will, if I have then used a product, how will I know that it's actually, how do I test out if the worm has actually worked? It's usually fairly straightforward to do it. But the sheep do need to be infected with worms for us to, to do the testing. And that means that late summer, autumn can be a good time to collect samples from lambs to carry out the testing. You want to be testing, collecting faecal samples from 10 individually identified lambs. And those samples should be kept in individual bags prior to testing. And it's really, really important that you dose them accurately. So if you've got a weigh crate, then get the weight of the lambs. Make sure before you start that you've checked that your dosing gun is giving the correct dose and calculate the, the right amount of wormer to give them from the, the product information leaflet. So after you've done all that, then the samples can go off to have worm egg counts carried out. And then you need to resample the same 10 animals and the timing of that is very important. So if you've used a group 2 wormer, then you should resample them one week after treatment. If you've used any of the other wormer groups, then you should resample them two weeks later. And if you get that timing wrong, then it can mean that the, the cost of doing it and the effort you put into doing it means you might not be able to interpret the result properly. And what we're looking for in the lab is that if the wormer has worked as it should, then the number of eggs that we count in the samples that are collected after treatment should be 95% or more less than the number of worm eggs that were in the samples pre-treatment. It is possible to pull the samples together to keep costs down, but sometimes that can make the results a little bit trickier to, to interpret.
Um, a lot of people will have heard about resistance. Um, are resistant worms present on many farms? Some of the worm products have been around for a long time now. Um, they've been used quite heavily in flocks for many, many years. And it has particularly common for worms to have developed resistant to some of these older products, particularly the group ones, the white drenches. There's been a few studies recently in different areas of the, the UK and these have actually shown that these group 1 wormers are no longer fully effective on over 90% of the farms that have been tested. But the, the thing that's a bit worrying about that is, is despite that, the large amounts of white drenches are, are still being used. And again, that's probably just because people are very familiar with using them and they're also quite cheap and they have short withdrawals. But if they're not working, then that's money wasted. There are also issues in some of the other wormer groups, and perhaps between 40 to 60% of farms tested have some evidence of resistance to the group two and three products as well. As it stands, there's only been one report so far of resistance to Zolvix, the group four wormer in the UK. The part of the problem is that in the early stages, you might not notice anything. So unless you're monitoring your lamb weights, you might not notice that the wormer hasn't worked as well as it should. Or what we see quite commonly is that people have used a wormer and the lambs aren't doing as well as they'd like, but they just assume that that's because oh, it's just the weather this year or it's because they're, they're short of cobalt or selenium so they'll go and give them a drench of trace elements or something like that when, when all along it's just that the wormer hasn't worked properly. And if the, the thing is left and, and you don't switch to a different wormer group you will get ill thrift and eventually you will get a problem where you get scour and, and deaths of lambs. So how can I avoid introducing resistant worms to my farm? One of the, the high-risk ways of introducing resistant worms to your farm is in bought-in animals or animals returning if they've been grazing away from home as well. So these animals should be quarantined on arrival on your holding. And the aim of quarantine worm treatment is to kill as many worms that are inside the sheep as possible to avoid introducing any worms that may be resistant to, to wormers. And as worms are least likely to be resistant to the newest products, which are the group 4 and the group 5 products, so Zolvix and Startet, then that's a good opportunity to use these products. You will find that they are, because they're new products, you'll find that they are more expensive than some of the older products. but if it prevents a problem on your farm in the future, then that then is money well spent. There is a lot of detail about quarantine treatments on the, the SCOPS website. SCOPS stands for Sustainable Control of Parasites in Sheep. But also there should be guidance on quarantine treatments and how to carry them out and what to do. And that should be included as part of your flock health plan. One thing to watch is if you're buying in particularly tops, it's very easy to underestimate the weight of tops. Um, so as, as before, it's always important to use the right dose for the weight of animal. The other thing you need to think about is if you've wormed them, then that wormer hopefully has killed the worms that are there. 
but it takes time for any worm eggs left in the gut to be passed out in the faeces. So after treatment, you should house or yard these animals for 48 hours. So don't, don't worm them and put them straight out onto grass. That will give time for these worm eggs to be passed out. And then also have a think about where they're grazing after the, the return out to grass. You want to put them on a field that you know is going to be contaminated with worm larvae from the, the worms that are present in your home flock. Because that means that if any worms have survived treatment, then they'll quickly be diluted uh, by the worms from the home flock. What else can a worm, counts, worm egg counts be used for? You could use them as a monitoring tool to provide information on whether a group of sheep needs to be wormed or not at that particular time. You can also use them to diagnose a problem with scouring or, or ill-thriven animals. There are things you need to remember. It's only adult worms that produce eggs and, and any count will just be a, a snapshot in time about what's going on at that particular moment. And things can change rapidly under some conditions. For example, if it's been dry for a number of weeks and then you get a, a sudden wet spell, a lot of the larvae that have perhaps been trapped inside dried up faeces on the grass will, will be flushed out. So the worm challenge can increase quite quickly in circumstances like that. The other thing to think about is that every animal in the group may well have a different number of worms inside them and it's not practical to sample every animal. So what the compromise usually is between what's practical and cost effective but still reasonably accurate as to giving you a guide to what sort of worm burdens there are in the group is to sample 10 animals from that group. You should always keep your samples separately so each sample from each animal in, a, in an individual bag or an individual pot and then whoever's doing the testing, the lab or your vet, um, they can pull the samples at the time and that means that they know that each animal is contributing an equal amount of faeces to the pool because otherwise you won't get a true average result at the end. You should always collect samples from animals of the same age that have been grazing together. So if you've got a field with ewes and lambs in it, you should never collect samples from using lambs and mix them together because that result is, isn't helpful, that, that would be a waste of money. Because some of the eggs will hatch, if, if they hatch then we won't be able to count them under the microscope and the result then won't be accurate. That means that samples need to be as fresh as possible, so if you've seen the, the dung being passed or it's still warm when you pick it up. If there's going to be a delay between getting them to the lab or whoever's doing the testing, then you need to keep them cool because that also stops the eggs from hatching. So you have to have a think about what you're going to do with the sample, so don't leave them sitting on the, the front shelf of the Land Rover in the sun for a day or two um, because you won't get a, an accurate egg count if, if you do that. Because you're dealing with, with faeces, obviously it contains bacteria and bugs that, that can make people ill. Um, so ideally wear gloves, very convenient, just use a plastic bag to, to pick up the samples and if you then squeeze all the air out the bag before you seal it, that will also stop the eggs from hatching. Are there ways to help reduce the worm challenge without using treatments? People do 
various grazing management strategies that can help with reducing worm challenge. But what you need to think about is whether the worm challenge, in other words, the number of larvae that are on the grass, whether they're there in high numbers or, or low numbers. And it's a really good thing to do, even if you can apply it to just a small area of the farm. Lambs will grow much, much better on fields with a low worm challenge compared to lambs that are grazing fields with large numbers and high numbers of worm larvae on it. And that applies even if they're being wormed regularly. They will never grow as well as lambs that are on a field with, with only small numbers of, of worm larvae there. So you need to be able to identify the low risk fields or what would be a high risk field. So your lower risk fields will have been free of sheep for a long period. Um, for most people, then that could be quite challenging. But for example, if you think about late summer time, a reseed would be lower risk, or silage aftermaths, or fields only grazed by cattle earlier in the year. These are all likely to have only low numbers of worm larvae on the grass at that time. You contrast that to a field that's been grazed heavily by using lambs in the spring and, and the first part of summer, that's going to be a high risk field by late summer autumn because there's likely to be large numbers of worm larvae on the grass. And if you remember that the worm larvae can survive over the winter, so if you've had fields that have been grazed by, by hogs, particularly if they've been scouring or had a problem in the autumn and winter, then those can be high risk the following spring and early summer. Most sheep worms don't infect cattle and vice versa, so you can use that to your advantage. Uh, so if you can have an annual sheep cattle or sheep cattle crop rotation, then that's a really good way of reducing worm challenge. People often think, however, that if, if a field has been free of sheep for three or four weeks, then that's going to be clean grazing or a safe field to graze. But that, in fact, isn't true. Um, so if you're rotating sheep every few days, for example, around a small number of paddocks, then that's not going to reduce your worm challenge. There are things you can do, however. So you could allow the lambs to creep graze ahead of the ewes because that means they'll be taking the, the tops of the grass off. Because what you find is a lot of the worm larvae are very low down in the pasture, um, sort of just in the bottom couple of centimetres. So if you've got fields that are overgrazed or overstocked, then you're going to be re increasing the worm challenge. The animals will be struggling nutrition-wise, which will make any worm infection more of a problem for them. And you're probably also forcing them to graze closer to, to faeces, and that's where there's going to be high numbers of, of larvae as well. So avoiding overgrazing and overstocking is important. And clover in the sward will help sheep cope with, with worm challenge. And there are things you can do if you know there's a field that is going to be heavily contaminated by worm larvae. You could graze it with cattle and that will help clean it up. Or even just after weaning time, if you graze those sorts of fields by ewes, then at that time of year, those worms aren't going to do the ewes any harm and they will help to, to remove the worm larvae from, from the field and reduce the challenge from later on. So nutrition is, is really important. 
um, as well. And one you might have come across before is if in the run up to lambing time, and if you provide them with a bit of soya, say 100 grams per lamb carried, then that will reduce the number of worm eggs that they use excrete at that time of year. Lambing time is, is the only time of year when they're in late pregnancy and when they're milking heavily to, to feed the lambs in the first few weeks. That's probably the only time of year where the ewes immune system has a bit of a wobble when it comes to controlling their worm burdens. And although the sheep in themselves will, will look fine, they will be passing out higher numbers of, of worm eggs. And, and those worm eggs, of course, then develop into larvae, which increases the challenge to lambs greater later in the summer if, if they're grazing the same fields. So making sure the ewe nutrition is right round about lambing time, giving them a bit of soya perhaps, will reduce the number of eggs they're passing out and then reduce the challenge to the lambs later in the year. So when it comes to the back end time, then it would be good if you can have a field that you know will be low risk for lambs that have been weaned because they will grow much much better but the other option would be to think about brassicas just remember though if they have access to grass run back then it would be possible for them to pick up infection from that area and you may also have come across trial work or demonstrations where people have planted chicory uh, and that's also been shown to have benefits in reducing losses from worms so we've talked a bit about high risk and low risk grazing. One thing that it's important not to do um, would be to worm a whole group and then immediately turn them on to low risk grazing. That is a, a dangerous strategy um, and it might be something that you've been told to do in the past and certainly it was something I was taught at vet school but it just illustrates how things develop over the years as we learn more about a subject. And now it, it's not a, we now know it's not a good idea to worm a whole group of animals and then move them on to low-risk grazing where there may be no or only small numbers of, of worm larvae present on the grass. And the reason for that is that it will speed up the development of resistance in the worms because any worms that have survived that treatment uh, will then contaminate the, the nice low-risk field with their with their eggs. So the way around that is to, to leave some animals untreated, uh, perhaps 10% untreated, or to delay the move to the new field for, for several days before they move. If you're using a long-acting wormer, your only option is, is to leave some of the animals untreated. And where can I get more information about worms? There's many sources of information about worms, AHDB, your vet would be a possible source, uh, but if you are interested in the subject, then one place I would recommend that you have a look is, is the SCOPS website, where, the, where there's a lot of useful information and practical advice there. Well, thank you very much, Heather. Um, all the websites that Heather mentioned there, we'll put a link to them in the description and on our website in the sheet pages. Um, if you've got any further questions, uh, please do contact our helpline on 0300 323 0161 or you can email in questions to advice at faz.scot and all the information about the Farm Advisory Service can be found on our website. That's www.faz.scot. That's www.fas.scot.